All right, welcome to the Paranormal Inc. podcast, third show. This is Rich. This is Mike. And we're going to be talking about poltergeists. Um, big subject, a lot of cases. Controversial subject. Yeah, and a bit weird too, but we'll get into all that. I guess we should sort of start by talking about kind of what a poltergeist is anyway. So... What do you kind of think of when you think of a poltergeist? Okay. First thing that comes to mind is the movie. <laughs> now, there, <clears throat> excuse me, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of people just consider it a, a ghost. And you'll get other people that consider it just a mass of energy that, you know, stirs up trouble until it actually plays itself out. Yeah, I'm, me personally, I'm kind of on the fence. I I tend to think that the energy theory makes more sense because otherwise it is just a typical ghost. Well, right, and I think <clears throat> I think actually poltergeist was sort of invented as a way to have an alternative explanation than okay, so it's not a ghost in the house that's doing this stuff, um, but it looks like ghost activity, so we'll call it a poltergeist and. If there happens to be a kid in the house, we'll blame them. They're the catalyst or the trigger. Um, so, you know, like 99% of the time when we're talking about some of these cases, there's always a young girl or in some cases a young boy, usually who's going through puberty or something. Mm-hmm. And it's they're sort of blamed as being the trigger for all the psychic activity that's going on because that's really what it comes down to is really it's PK, psychokinetic energy rather than an actual ghost being in the house. Right. It's also, a lot of people don't like to throw the demon word around so they can blame it on a poltergeist. Yeah, or as we'll find out in some of the early cases at least, vice versa, it's yeah. poltergeist, but they're also saying there's a demon for some reason. and <laughs> So it's just kind of, they're all sort of interconnected as these things tend to be, depending on the perspective, I guess. Um, so... All right, well, there are a lot of poltergeists, and by a lot, I mean hundreds, I think, documented cases of poltergeists. More than you'd like to research, I'm sure. So what we kind of did was break down things into some early cases, some more modern cases, and then even some that are kind of recent or ongoing. Um, So, okay, so we're going to jump right into... Some of the more famous early cases, and by early we mean pre-1900. Um, and the first one I came across was actually from 1716. Um, and if anybody out there knows of an older one than this that's been actually documented, um, or want to just comment on anything we're talking about today, send us a line at info at paranormalincorporated.com, all spelled out, and we'll be happy to hear your input on this. But the first case I found was 1716, and it was case of the Epworth Rectory. In England. Right. And a lot of the early cases are tend to be Europe. Uh, 1716, I guess there wasn't a whole lot of people in, in <coughs> North America. Yeah, I was going to say, there wasn't a whole lot of people here, and there wasn't a whole lot of people, for sure, documenting stuff that went on. Right. And well, this one was in Lincolnshire, England, um, and actually involved uh, a priest, Reverend Samuel Wesley, who claims that he was hearing regular rappings on the wall, seeing furniture move, um, moans, footsteps kind of jumped in, and at one point, yeah, the servants even said they noticed they saw 
uh, a bed levitate with one of the children sitting in it, um, which is interesting to note that his wife, and he had 19 children. Mm-hmm. Which, what, 14 of them died? 14, yeah, in infancy, no less. Um, and the kids actually played with the spirit a little bit, which was probably a mistake. <laughs> yeah, probably something you typically don't want to do, you know, giving it more energy. And he kind of called him Old Jeffrey. Uh, and it seems, what, in this case particularly, a lot of people seem to think there were there was witchcraft involved. Um, another one of those sort of blurring the lines between uh, infestation, demon stuff. Man, just something if they can't explain it, then they'll go on and blame it on a witch. Right. So, and this was a... Funny case, too, also, because I was reading that a lot of people believe the catalyst for this was actually some bad blood between the husband and the wife because apparently the wife had this leanings, political leanings, where she was sympathetic towards what they called the Jacobites then, and her husband was very against the Jacobites, and they actually split up over it for a while, and then she came back, and they just said there was this bad blood in the house because of this argument, and that sort of his hateful feelings towards her and stuff was a catalyst for all this activity. No, but since when do priests do hateful things? <laughs> I didn't know priests even had political beliefs. Oh, I know. So the events eventually just ended without explanation. Um, like I say, there was, you know, five children who managed to live past infancy. And, and there was a young girl there who was present. And some people believe the 15-year-old girl was part of the problem. but So this was kind of in that period where uh, witchcraft was the paranoia. Everyone was being burned alive. And everyone that you know looked crossly at a, at a reverend or a priest or anything was considered a witch. And right. Any, anytime you walk by somebody on the street and they give you this funny look, if anything out of the ordinary would happen to you or your family, it's like, well, she's a witch. I mean, she looked at me the other day, and my cow died. Right. And just basically 100 years later, in 1817, we have the American sort of version of this story, once again involving a witch. Yeah, actually one of the more famous ones. And more well-known, anyway. Right, and you probably have already guessed that we're talking about the Bell Witch. Um, Robertson, Tennessee, 1817. And this is a really bizarre one because... Um, we actually managed to find one of the books that was written at the actual time of all these events where they sort of detailed everything that was happening with the Bell Witch. And it's interesting to note that though we've sort of written it off as, in the case of the movie American Haunting, as a ghost story, um, or whether you believe you know, the lady Kate Batts was a witch and she was sort of plaguing them from afar with something, um, it was pretty clear in the book that they were they thought they were hobgoblins. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst other things. <laughs> I mean, they go through this book, you know, talking about the things happening at the Bell Farm. And, I mean, they're, they, they refer to the spirit as a, as a hobgoblin, a goblin, uh, a demon. Uh, Everything. A ghost. I mean, um, <laughs> make up your mind. Yeah, I think they just really, they had, there was no... Dividing lines whatsoever between different kinds of paranormal stuff yeah, back then. I think we're definitely going to cover all their bases. <laughs> I, I told you it was a sprite. 
Yeah, it's just it's so silly, and you know, and then you have you know you throw in that there's these you know reputedly famous witnesses like Andrew Jackson and that sort of thing, and but what we do know is John and Betsy Bell, the husband and wife, uh, or actually John was the father and Betsy was the daughter, uh, were the two in the family that were really the two targeted. Everybody everybody saw things happening there, but John was pretty much picked on until he eventually was. He died of poisoning, and the mm-hmm. witch claimed to be the cause of that. And Betsy was witch. pretty much tortured, too. It's kind of odd in this case, because even at the time all this was going on, I mean, Kate Bass was actually still alive. Well, right. Well, that's one of the confusing things that I think was in the, in the movie, was they almost portrayed it like it was her ghost mm-hmm. that was haunting them. But what they were actually saying in the book back in the day was that she was doing witchcraft in her house and causing all the problems there in their house with her... Uh, familiars, minions, I don't know, whatever you want to refer to. her Hobgoblins. Her hobgoblins <laughs> that she's training and sending over there to plague them and throw dishes and things. And, uh, yeah, so, and, you know, and there's a lot of interviews that, you know, from the day with Kate Batts, you know, where, you know, they kind of said she was this really domineering woman who trumped about with her slaves and... She's just an old bitty. Yeah, and turned her nose up at people and kind of messed around with her, you know, and... Apparently she had a bit of a land dispute with the Bell family, so. But who knows? But I will say this: if you go there today, do not expect to see any sort of a farmhouse uh, with a hobgoblin in it. Yeah, the. Well, I mean, the farmhouse actually has been moved. I think all that's there anymore is a cave. Yeah, I mean the somebody somebody bought the farmhouse, and I'm thinking it's even been moved out of state and. For a while, I think, wasn't he claiming that, ooh, I've got the bell witch now. You know, the bell witch is plaguing me. Well, the witch actually stated at one point that she was going to return. Mm-hmm. Um, and X time and X time. She picked right. two different times and said that she was going to return and sort of plague the descendants of the bell family. Right. Um, you know, and I've read a couple different stabs that people are trying to sort of say that happened in minor ways or... But it's pretty apparent that the Bell Witch never came back. Uh, no. And I think nowadays, if you go and visit the Bell Witch Cave, and that's what it is now, it was a cave that was nearby, mm-hmm. um, there are people who do say that they think there's that that place is haunted and that there's things happening there. But but once again, you know, you're, you have the blurred line of, you know, now we have poltergeist because it's there's a kid who's being plagued, Betsy. Um, poltergeist-like things are happening, such as things flying around the house and that sort of thing. Um, but it could have been a hobgoblin, or a witch, or a ghost. Or I'm <laughs> thinking, hmm, if it's a hobgoblin, why didn't they just call Spider-Man? I'm just thinking every case we go to from here on out, we just blame it on hobgoblins. <laughs> I just, you just like saying hobgoblin. <laughs> I mean, we'll raise a few eyebrows, but, you know... Hey, we'll be different. We'll never get called back. So the next case, we're going to be jumping forward now to 1860 uh, in Staus, Switzerland. Um, and it's sort of known as the Staus Poltergeist. Um, this is a pretty standard affair kind of a case. Uh, typical typical poltergeist case, what you would think. The only thing, the reason I actually wrote this one down for people who want to look it up. Um, Staus, by the way, is S-T-A-U-S. Uh, was because there were two things that sort of made it stand out. One was there was an, actually an apparition. Mm. So there was a ghost there. 
Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you can PK a ghost. I don't think you can psychically make a ghost appear. But it's referred to as the South Poltergeist. It's one of the most famous ones in Europe. But there's an actual apparition that's seen crying, who was seen no less by the family, but also witnessed by police that were called to the scene, which was another thing that made it stand out. Yeah, why... What do you expect to do by calling the police? Are they going to arrest it? <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I, I guess maybe to get, get some credibility. <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing I could think. I mean, apparently the police called, came there, saw a bunch of weird stuff happening, told the family to leave so they could see if it happened if they weren't there, um, did uh, see some activity but found no foul play because the family was gone. Um, so they called the family back and said, yeah, you know, you got stuff happening here and and then they went their merry way, <laughs> and the family basically put up with it till they had enough and moved out of the house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's the Stouse Poltergeist. <laughs> All right. Ghost. Ghost. Right. It's a ghost story. It's, that's more of a ghost. All right. <clears throat> so maybe the next one will be an actual poltergeist. No witch, no ghost, no hobgoblin. The Amherst case. <laughs> oh, it's a pixie. This one's a pixie. <laughs> Now, this is a strange, this is a strange one here because this uh, follows more of what you think of really with poltergeists. Um, you notice we're actually jumping from like country to country on these two. This one's actually in Nova Scotia. Right, Amherst, Nova Scotia. That's, what, that's why we call it Amherst case. <laughs> and the, the afflicted person has quite a few... Uh, websites that have talked about Esther Cox and the things that happened with her because 1878 is recent enough that people were actually documenting things in books and mm -hmm. there were quite a few books coming out at this point about ghosts and witchcraft and spirits and uh, spiritualism and that sort right. of thing. You got a lot of people getting into the seances and the table tippings. Correct. And apparently this all began with Esther Cox waking up in a, one more one night and screaming, I'm dying, and she was felt ill, and she kind of went through all this stuff for a while where she would just kind of generally feel sick and have nightmares, Then pretty soon the family started noticing there were loud bangs coming out of the room. She would say the sheets would get torn off the bed. Um, and, I mean, and when, and just to put you in perspective of this, we're talking about what's basically a two-room cottage. Not really a, a house, because you're thinking like your house you know, where there's bathrooms and upstairs right. and downstairs. We're talking about a two-room cottage. Yeah, with, uh, uh, like, entire family. An extended, extended family. family. So, I mean, they have grandparents there and everything, you know. So, I mean, you're in a house this small, and things are happening to Esther in her bed. They're being seen by everyone, you know, because they're sleeping five feet away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the words appear on the wall when the doctor comes to try to help Esther to see if she really is dying or sick. Um, he sees words appear on the wall saying, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. All right. It's, that's, I don't know. <laughs> that's just <laughs> so hard to swallow. I mean, could have happened. I mean, I wasn't there. I'm not that old. But, man, anytime you hear something that intense and that detailed, I mean, you just have to step back and like, man. Somebody. This is the sort of thing you see it in a horror movie, and you're like, okay, it's too much. I know. You know, it's 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 too much here. You know, we're getting into the get out of Amityville <laughs> and things like that. You know, and but Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. And at this point, 
fires start breaking out just spontaneously wherever she goes. Um, there's one point I think they were like actually outside and they could see a fire pop on the inside and they ran and put it out. Um, and it just went on and on to the point that the landlord who owned the house said, look, you're going to burn my whole house down. Get out. <laughs> and, which, which actually you did. The barn, the barn did burn down. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then she when they leave, she goes on to work at a warehouse or some or a farm, actually, a, a farm. Mm-hmm. And a fire breaks out there. Burns down that barn, and the owner promptly just blames her, and she's actually thrown in jail. Yeah. Which they were much, much more lenient back then. She spent, what, a month? Yeah, because I think everybody in the community knew the situation at this point, but they felt like they had to punish her. (laughs) Um, But not long after going to jail, the activity just sort of died off around her. Um, But this whole thing with uh, rock throwing and fires seem to be one of the, to me, one of the clear sort of symptoms that separates a poltergeist from other types of hauntings. A lot of that, when you get the rock throwing numerous cases, most people say it's almost like the rock just materializes. Like, it's not really coming from any set direction. It just doink, there's a rock there. Exactly. And speaking of which, We're now jumping forward into the more modern cases. And by modern, we're actually just defining this as 1900 to 1970. Um, And the first one we're going to talk about is 1903, just in the cusp of that. Mm -hmm. And it actually involves a German man named Grotendieck. And it's the Grotendieck Stone Thrower case. Sounds like a metal band. <laughs> and this is a strange one, too, because, you know, imagine this poor guy. Okay, so he's a, he's basically a contractor, right? He's an engineer. Yeah, and he goes to Sumatra, which is still, like, true third world at this point, you know? What we call third world now means they don't have McDonald's next door. Yeah. It's two towns over. That's third world to us now. Right. I mean, <laughs> these guys literally did not have a Hardee's. Yeah, there, there's nothing in Sumatra. So this guy is there working, and he's staying in this little hut, and he's seeing rocks materialize in the air, in the room, and falling onto the floor. And he's actually trying to catch them, but he says they would literally change directions when he tried to catch them. Right, so it means, you know, something's clearly, you know, fucking with him here. <laughs> I mean, not, and he actually said that they would actually look like they came from one specific leaf that was in the thatching on the top of the hut. Because, I mean, this is a hut. It has a <laughs> thatched roof and, you know, bamboo sides and that sort of thing. You thought the two-room cottage was bad we were talking about. And apparently it had a little so- local servant boy that would, but you know, come work with him and bring him things to eat at the end of the workday and that sort of thing. And it seemed like a lot of it was happening when he was around, so this poor guy got a lot of the blame as sort of being the trigger once again. Um for all this activity, but Grotendieck actually claimed, uh, after he complained about this whole affair and so many people witnessed it in the work camp, that he actually thought it was his sister who had died recently, and maybe she was trying to make contact with him. By throwing rocks that he couldn't catch. Yeah. I I think Grotendieck was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back to Hobgoblin. (laughs) It was a Hobgoblin, and he was pitching it through the leaf. You silly man. Uh, and these rock throwers, I mean, I'm, this is they're kind of boring to talk about because we're just talking about rocks materializing and being thrown. In which, I mean, we literally have 
witnessed on an investigation of ours. And really cool for the first five minutes, but then, I mean, it quickly gets annoying. Yeah, and I mean, it's... Like, you know, quit telling rocks. Yeah, you know, it's sort of... At some point you think, well, when is he actually going to hit somebody with a rock? I know. You, know? you could put an eye out like that. Yeah. Um, all right, so... But we, we wanted to basically throw that one in there because stone throwing is a common story with a lot of poltergeists, especially for some reason in South America. There's a lot of South American poltergeists that are basically nothing more than rock throwers. Okay, so... You're saying a Bigfoot could be a poltergeist. It could be. I mean, we've already rocks. we've already said apparitions and witches, <laughs> yeah. and why not? <laughs> okay, we got a Bigfoot. All right, so our next case, 1929. This is one that probably most people who follow ghost hunting have heard of at least, called the Borley Rectory. Um, another one, I don't want to jump into this one too deep, just because this is a good enough case that we may actually do a whole show on this. <laughs> um, but just know... That this is one of the cases that was investigated by Harry Price. He was like one of those famous debunkers, went around busting out the spiritualists who were defrauding everyone and right. trying to actually get scientific proof of ghosts and you know, all the things that people just pretty much don't want to do today. <laughs> and he wrote a book about the case called The Most Haunted House in England. So if anyone wants to read about it, they can check that book out. Probably find it for free on like Google Books or something. Yeah. But this was what what you know, a rectory. You know, how do you define a rectory for everyone? Um, the big building. Is, is, <laughs> I mean, is it was it? I mean, that's a, a school for clergy. Is that a rectory? Uh, Wait a minute, do I do I look smart? <laughs> well, I, my understanding is I thought a sort of a rectory was like where priests go to school or hang out or. If you know what a rectory is, email us and let us know. We obviously we should know. <laughs> Why should we know? I don't know. I have no intention of <laughs> checking into a rectory. We'll, we'll go with what he said. <laughs> okay, but whatever it was, uh, it's also it stands out because it was famous because Life Magazine actually published a photo from this uh, case of a brick levitating in the air. Um, you can you can go online and just take a look at that. It's actually, it's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it's not nearly as entertaining as, say, Ghost Adventures when the brick was hurled in the room and they screamed like girls. Well, that was, that was <laughs> cool. <laughs> that was definitely more entertaining, uh, you know. That which, part. Well, that brick sent them leaping out of windows and screaming for their lives, but... <laughs> yeah, if they had a dancing tube before with it. Oh, sure. I mean... Okay, so, all right. So, Borley Rectory. Um, next big one, Thornton Heath Poltergeist, 1938. Another one that's... One of those, I've actually kind of wondered why this one hasn't been a horror movie. Uh, there's been so much written about it. Uh, I only got a couple notes on it, and it's just because, I mean, it's it, you're starting. we're starting to get in the realm, even this, this far into the podcast, that we're going to be starting to repeat the right. same types of activity and things that are happening to people. Um, but this, was, this one actually centered around a 35-year-old woman, uh, by Mrs. Forbes. Um... <laughs> Another famous investigator, Nander Forder. Uh, try saying that name three times fast. Yeah. Nander Forder, Nander Forder. He will be mentioned a couple of times. <laughs> right. Uh, and the thing about Forder that's a little bit different than, uh, say, Harry Price or Dr. William Roll, we'll get into later too, mm-hmm. is that Forder was a big advocate of a lot of these things that are happening were caused by psychokinetic energy. 
usually to do to trauma or conflict or puberty. He's sort of really one of the guys who was the first proponent of the idea that mm-hmm. people were causing these things to happen rather than there being a ghost. And in this case, he blamed it on Mrs. Forbes' sexual sexual frustrations, you know, that were built up of years of uh, being a old maid. Thirty-five? Is that too young to be an old maid? She's a virgin. <laughs> well, I don't know if she was a virgin. She is a Mrs. Forbes. Yeah, that don't mean, <laughs> <don't> mean squat. <laughs> but I hope it, it means she wasn't. But all right. But anywho. But but Fodor blamed her sexual frustrations on the psychokinetic energy that was causing objects to materialize. Um, she could apparently hold her hand out, palm up, with something in it, and things would just fly off of her hand across mm-hmm. the room. Um, and, like, choke marks appeared on her neck. Which is a weird one, because now you're getting into the right world. Well, I mean, is now we have a ghost. Yeah, you're actually being physically assaulted. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I guess could go either way. I mean, you're still not really crossing the boundary. But, I mean, you had there several poltergeist cases where you do actually hear of, like, you know, physical interaction. Right, which, you know, is once again, it's like, well, who are you, if, if they're causing the activity, who are they interacting with? I mean, it's, just, it's, it's a very strange situation we're talking about here. And I mean, I think a lot of these poltergeists have to be sort of shuffled back over into the area of just haunting. Right. I mean, it's sort of silly. But she's, she's getting choke marks on her neck. And now, for a case that is so heavily discussed, and it is, Google Thornton Heath Poltergeist, and look how many websites pop up of people who talk about all the things that happened to Mrs. Forbes. Mm-hmm. Nander Fodor came to the conclusion she was faking everything. I know. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, why? Like, okay, you get got objects, like, flying from her hand. You have choke marks that appear on her neck. Eh, you faker. <laughs> I mean, he... I, I, I mean, we're talking about an age where... You know, you actually openly believe in, say, psychic activity, too. So, I mean, I think he was basically came to the conclusion that she was a psychic who was able to move some things with her mind, and she was pretending there was a malicious entity messing with her. And he came to the conclusion it was a combination of her faking and using a little bit of her own psychic ability to manipulate everyone. Well, I mean, that would be cool enough. I mean, if you, you can move <laughs> things with your mind. I mean, you're an X-Man. Well, I mean, well, yeah, she could actually take this on the sh- on the road, you know, as a show or something. I mean, it would be far more interesting than, you know, there's some something in her house that makes rocks yeah. fly out of her hand. Beats the hell out of a hobgoblin. I don't know about that. <laughs> you actually catch a hobgoblin and put it in a show, you've got a show. <laughs> but... So, but I wanted to bring that case up just because all these people are so rabid about this thing. The investigators said she was faking this, so maybe it's time to talk about this a little less. <laughs> yeah, that or I don't know. A lot of times it could just fall back on him. Either he just couldn't prove anything or wasn't getting his way. And he's like, "Well, hell with it. You're faking it." Yeah, I, I don't. I, he's one of those kind of guys that I don't know a lot about him back in the day, but he's involved with a lot of big cases, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean anything. So were the Warrens, and yeah, we know kind of our thoughts on how their cases go. So, all right. Next one, 1958, the Seaford Poltergeist. 
again named for a town. Hey, we're back in the States. <laughs> Finally. Haven't been there since 1817. <laughs> um, Seaford, Long Island. Uh, and this is bringing another investigator. William Rowe. William Rowe, who is another interesting cat. Uh, he was a very... Everything... You almost get the idea, listening to William Rowe, that he doesn't really believe in ghosts. He's interested in hauntings and cases, but he seems more keyed into actually proving these things are all products of electromagnetic energy, electricity, uh, once again, psychic tension, um, anything other than an actual ghost being Which 90% of is what a ghost is made up of. <laughs> well, sure. What energy I mean... And- Sure. Well, he was the one who infamously did the case in, I want to say it was in Alabama or Georgia, where the house was completely surrounded by high-line wires, and he came to the conclusion that just being boxed in the middle of all this high energy, electromagnetic energy coming from these wires, was causing them to have hallucinations. Kind of like a fear cage. Absolutely a fear cage. And I mean, and even when you get into like EMF sensitivity, I mean, mm-hmm. ramp that up to the millionth power with these massive transformers literally surrounding this house. Uh, I I can see how that would just affect your brain. I mean, start seeing things, just hallucinations and stuff. I mean, but you're definitely going to believe it's real. Absolutely. Or it could actually make things happen. You never know. Or, and if you've managed to catch the haunting in Connecticut to Georgia, <laughs> explain that one to me. Haunting. Why, if you know the case that you're putting in this movie takes place in Georgia, why would you call it the haunting in Connecticut too? Whose to, idea was this? To sell movies. They just they need slap. They couldn't just say The Haunting in Georgia and just sort of put it in the same font so that we understood it was yeah, sort of in the same haunting. series. I mean, but anyway, if you watch this movie about this case with the Mr. Gordy ghost and all of this, William Rowe was involved with that one too. All right. So he's at Seaford, Long Island, checking out the Seaford poltergeist. This one began with bottles... They never say of what. Sealed bottles, let's just, for the sake of our own imaginations, we're going to imagine they're bottles of beer, because that's what we like. So, okay. so (laughs) Oh, they spill, though. Right. So it began with these (laughs) bottles popping their tops and spilling contents constantly. And it finally expanded into where it was like shampoo bottles were doing it, um, bottles of detergent. Everything. Everything, yes. And it always seemed to happen when the kids were in the house. Uh. Pretty soon, objects are being thrown, things are being broken. But just to show you sort of William Rowe's slant on this, and this is why I actually brought this case in, because this is more, I think, what people who are out there trying to be ghost hunters and trying to prove or disprove things need to think about. But, like, over the course of investigating the Seaford Poltergeist, William Rowe rules out radio waves, floor vibrations, electrical malfunctions, downdrafts coming from the chimney, Airplane noises, plumbing, plumbing problems, underwater level changes, which would change mm. pressure, air pressure. Right. Um, I mean, this guy is really coming at this stuff scientifically. You know, he's just not walking around with an audio recorder asking right. questions. Which you would think would, I mean, it does make sense, and you're going to think, well, I mean, maybe he's the most legit out of them. Maybe. I think he is. I think he ranks in. I think he ranks in that handful of people who are really going about this the right way. He's really well, he's coming not, at it scientifically. He's not jumping to conclusions by any means. 
No. And he's, I mean, it, and he's not going to err on the side of not having investigated something that's right. logical, you know. Like I say, so many people would be like, okay, all this is happening. Bust out the audio recorders. We're going to start doing EVP work. So, no, William Rowe, yeah, absolutely. I think he's one of the, the guys who's trying to do it right. All right. Now we're going to move, what, a couple states over to Baltimore. Yeah, that's cool. Like a couple years up. Yep, 1960 now. Uh, the Baltimore Poltergeist. This is another one of those that's heavily discussed. It's on a lot of websites. Um, involves a Jones family. It's a husband, wife, daughter, and also a son-in-law who's married to the daughter and, and their child. child, their grandson. And this one begins with a bunch of different ceramic collectibles. Apparently this woman collected like ceramic pitchers mm -hmm. and mugs and that sort of thing. And over the course of a couple days... 15 of her prized collect collectibles explode. Uh, in the months that follow this, things start to get thrown around. Things are getting broken. There are tons of witnesses watching this stuff. And in comes... Nander. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Fodder. Nander Fodder again. Uh, let's just call him Nanner. You know, like, like a banana. Like a banana. Nanner. Nanner. <laughs> so in comes Nanner and <laughs> Nanner Frodo. <laughs> and in this case, this actually seems like it's a real poltergeist because nothing is happening other than things are moving around and things are breaking. Uh, <laughs> Fodder actually, Nanner, brings in a plumber. Yeah, the first thing I would have done. Who, who tells them that... <laughs> The pressure in the house is offsetted from the pressure that's outside the house because yeah. of plumbing problems. So open, so open some windows yeah. to even out the pressure. Uh, Fodder comes to the conclusion that somebody in the house was, once again, psychically causing all the activity, and they ran out of juice. Um, for the record, the family went down uh, in writing saying that they believe the plumber. Yeah. <laughs> they basically opened the windows and... Equalize the pressure, and they say that all the activity stopped. It did stop, and well, you know, and Fodder yeah. said, "Well, well, you know, the psychic battery ran out of juice." No, and they the family opened said, the, no, the plumber figured it out. Yeah, <laughs> they opened the window so it had, you know, it could get away. <laughs> yeah, well, it flew out. I mean, so I mean, so yeah, stupid Nanner, Nanner, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> So we're we're definitely taking a plumber on every investigation we do from here on out. Taps? <laughs> oh. That's how they got it. <laughs> they were reading all of Nanner's cases and realized <laughs> just how important it was to be a, a plumber. All right. Saatchi Poltergeist. Okay, now we're, again, Saatchi, S-A-U-C-H-I-E, for those who want to look up some of these cases. Yeah. We're back overseas. You're back in Scotland. This would be a cool one just because it's in Scotland. Oh, yeah. And there's another Scotland case. It's probably the last one we're going to talk about, Glamis Castle. That I'd go just for that. Pretend I was going for the Saatchi Poltergeist, but actually want to go to Glamis Castle. <laughs> uh, Saatchi, Scotland. Okay, so once again, we're blaming a kid, 11-year-old girl this time. Um, people would go by her room. She would be sitting in her room. And they would hear the distinct sounds of what sounded like a ball bouncing. Mm -hmm. But she wouldn't be bouncing a ball. Uh, pretty soon, this chest of clothes in her room began to sort of move around. Um, 
Now we're getting, you know, in a modern era here, 1960s, so now people are starting to actually go, hmm, maybe we should use some cameras and yeah, see if which, stuff happens. Which they did. Set a camera up in her room and recorded noises, odd noises, which I'm, that's cool, but it still really doesn't prove anything. No, and I, and I think actually what they were trying, what they did with the camera was they, they put it on the chest mm -hmm. to see if it would move the camera on it, and it never did, but they did hear like bangs, scooting sounds, almost like something was trying to move it, maybe, but couldn't do it, that sort of thing. Um, or moving something out of camera view. <laughs> All right, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, depending on the integrity of this sort of setup. Right. Uh, so the family came to the conclusion that it was the devil. <laughs> so we're into one of those. So now we're, this is now a devil case. And so they call in a, an exorcist to do an exorcism. Uh, it was performed. It did not work, but eventually the activity sort of died down on its own. Exorcism is going to come up again in a couple more cases, uh, especially in one in particular we're going to be talking about how the exorcism actually exacerbates the situation. Uh, yeah, so poltergeist. Another confusion seems to be uh, demonic infestation. <laughs> Which was brought up without the Warrens being there. That's true. <laughs> Um, and it's actually a little bit even mentioned in Devil in the Delta, um, yeah. because the owners thought the devil was certainly involved with some of the things going on with their house, <laughs> and just, we just sort of know how that goes. So, all right. But the devil, I promise you, is going to come up again shortly. All right. What's the next case? Yeah, we'll head to Oakland. Yay, back in the States. Oh, back but, in, but we're in Oakland. Yeah. And it is... <laughs> Four years ahead, 64. 1964. Right. And I want to say the only reason that I put this case in here is because it's the only one that I read that didn't happen in a person's it house. Happened in an office building. An office building. Not even a house. It was in an actual functioning business office. And equipment was acting bizarre. Phones were acting crazy, ringing. They'd pick it up and there'd be no one there. Um, they tried to call the phone company. They came out and examined the switchboards, found nothing wrong. They would, I mean, this went on and on and on until they finally decided one of the, their employees was doing all this. At first they thought doing it as in he was setting everything up and fraudulently pranking. making this yeah. activity. Pranking. Yeah, pranking. And, uh, but then later came to the conclusion that either there was a ghost there and it was attracted to him and it was just kind of there when he was there, or B, once again, he was PKing all this activity in this, this office building. Not a particularly interesting case to read about. Yeah, not, not an overabundance of activity. I mean, typical poltergeist shit. I mean, you got stuff moving around. Well, and the phone's not working and all that, maybe you just don't run a good business. You don't have any customers. Right. Um, but I but I just wanted to put in there because just to show that they can happen someplace other yeah. than in a house. <laughs> doesn't have to be a living quarters. It doesn't have to be a place where you live. All right. So now we're going to jump into one of the most interesting cases that I actually found. And this one is one of those that, I, again, I'm thinking, you know, how is this not a horror movie yet? Or maybe someone did get the story and... They just changed it because 
They didn't want to pronounce the city that it took place in. Uh, <laughs> you want to butcher it, or should I? Jabuticabal. That's it. It's in Brazil. It's in Brazil. It's Jabuticabal. Uh, J-A-B-U-T-I-C-A-B-U-L. Jabuticabal. Jabuticabal. We're just going to call it Booty Call. Works for me. Booty Call Brazil. All 1965. Right. 1965, Booty Call Brazil. Um, we have a Catholic family who's seeing, not rocks, yeah, bricks, bricks. <laughs> materializing before their eyes in the middle of, of the house. And falling and falling inside the, the house. Right. <laughs> Which immediately... Requires an exorcism. Well, yeah, because the devil, <laughs> the devil clearly likes to plague people with falling bricks. He will, he will hurl masonry at you. And, and of all things, too, I mean, once again, they've singled out a poor little eleven-year-old girl as being the cause, and but she's possessed apparently. So they do an exorcism, and things actually got worse. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do know that in some cases of actual hauntings. Not poltergeist, but hauntings. Okay, say you're a ghost, all right, and you're you know we're gonna make a stretch here. It's mm-hmm. just we're assume we're a ghost and we're haunting a place. Someone comes in and immediately goes, "Oh, it's a demon," and you're like, "Hey, wait a minute, I'm not a demon." <laughs> and then a priest comes in and starts ranting and raving about you and throwing around holy water. Well, it kind of pisses you off, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? You bring gifts to the girl. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> which it. is exactly what happened. <laughs> it started bringing the girl gifts. That's it. She would, according to the people who were there, she could actually say, "I'm hungry," and sweets and things of this nature would appear at her feet. But these were sort of two-faced entities that exactly. she was dealing with, because then they would turn around and attack her. attack her right after that. <laughs> Here's a lollipop, smack right across the face. I mean, they said like she would she would go to bed at night. And the things mm. would just torture her. I mean, so, you know, and this is post-exorcism now. I mean, they, this I mean, wasn't why the exorcism it, took it's place. It's worse. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, you start with sweets, and then you kind of, you know, you get some malicious attacks. Then you get needles jabbed in your feet. Yes, and it would actually, like, they hammered them in. They were so just, embedded into her foot. I'm going out right now. <laughs> Yeah, and she and she would be lying in bed sleeping, and things would materialize over her bed and fall on her. Mm. So I mean, it was like it was like hitting her with things, hammering needles into her feet. Uh, yeah, uh, which unfortunately, two years later, she died. Thirteen years old, and once again, dies of poisoning. That many, everyone, there were no one was accused of wrongdoing in this case. The police actually thought she committed suicide. She just had enough of being right attacked. And it's, you know, ongoing as well. Did she commit suicide or was it actually something that the spirits or poltergeist, you know, brought her? The family was absolutely convinced that the spirits did it to her. That they snuck pesticide into her <laughs> soft drink. Apparently she had she would drink soda mm-hmm. and leave it sitting beside the bed. And they said she woke up, drank some of her soda, immediately got sick and she died. Which goes back to the Bell Witch, of course. Poison. <laughs> Poisoning. Poor John Bell. <laughs> yeah. Poisoning of John Bell. So clearly we're dealing with a witch. <laughs> or a hobgoblin. Hobgoblin. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to just keep... Hobgoblin's going to be the word of the day, apparently. So, Booty Call Brazil. 
Hobgoblin case number two. And we're on to Bikini Central after that. Exactly. <laughs> Miami. And of all the people you want to see in Bikini Central, William Roll's probably not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> another William Roll case. Um, okay, so now we're in another workplace. Yeah. This, I'm a warehouse uh, where a manager became absolutely fed up with items that they were stocking being found broken. Uh, apparently, he went through all the normal means of trying to figure out if an employee was doing this. Uh, you know, or is it uh, earthquakes? Or you know, we, all these kind of things were ruled out. Finally, had enough. He calls the police, the police. <laughs> again, <laughs> right? And apparently, according to the the testimony, the police were there at the warehouse, like taking a statement and all this kind of thing. And things start flying off the shelves in front of the police officers. And this was all written in the reports. Of course, uh, another employee is the blame. Right. Only in this case, at least it's not an 11-year-old girl. Yeah. It's a 19-year-old <laughs> clerk. Uh, and it was male. And once again, Roll kind of shows his scientific edge here. What he decided to do was once the guy was sort of identified as the source of the activity, what he actually experimented with was to see if, if he moved the guy further away from the shelves where the things were, if the activity would actually decrease in strength. So he was trying to test, like, you know, if the proximity of the person causing a poltergeist would actually cause how strong the activity would be. And he did this, like, I mean, very well. Uh, and he also ran the man through a battery of psychological tests. Which he failed. Right. <laughs> According to Roll. Because he did, he wanted to figure out if, like a lot of the people were assuming that there was, you know, a lot of sexual tension, puberty problems, all these kinds of psychological issues were present with him, you know. So, again, we're seeing Dr. William Rose sort of as a cut above the chaff right. in that he actually does try scientific ways of getting to the source of some of the and problems. He also did state that after that 19-year-old man left employment there, the activity stopped. Absolutely. I mean, he figured it out. Um, he actually tried to run some experiments to see, you know, how poltergeists work. Try to got, dive into that a little bit, uh, and so on. So, props to <laughs> props to roll. I'm definitely gonna let Richard tackle the name of this next one. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we're back in Germany again, and this is the Rosenheim poltergeist. I think that's just the English name for it. I think it was actually this Polish name, this Rosenheimski. Uh, Poltergeist. Uh, this is a strange one, and the only reason, again, that I, I pushed through this one in there, and we're not going to dive into this one very much, but once again, it's a workplace one, mm -hmm. not a house, and it seems like it's all electrical stuff. Right. No, I mean, again, not just an abundance of stuff happening, but continuous happening. I mean, it's I mean, it's the same stuff, but it's I mean, it keeps happening over and over and over. Fuses were blowing, lights would go crazy, and it all happened around one particular female worker, and they said it was actually to the point that she could stand under a row of lights, and that row of lights would begin flickering and going on and off mm -hmm. and things of that nature. And I think a lot of people in post-analysis of this case came to the conclusion that maybe this woman had one of those disorders where she had the electromagnetic energy inside her. So, you know, you have people who are supposedly ma magnetic uh, they could touch light bulbs and things and make them mess up. Magneto. Magneto. <laughs> Actual people. <laughs> <laughs>
So, anyway, it's just interesting in that, you know, once again, it was a workplace kind of a thing. All right. And ceased when she left her job. Once again. So, firing people aren't always such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So, now we're going to get into more recent cases. Um, and a lot of these are definitely going to be ones that ghost hunters have either heard of or people who are interested in reading about ghosts and things have heard of. And the first one is very well known, but not by this name. No. <laughs> You'll scratch your head. Well, I've never heard of this. How can it be so famous? Well, yeah, and let's see. Let's see when you key in to when you think you know what this case is. So we're going to 1971, the Cottage City Poltergeist. Young boy, things are happening in his bedroom. Uh, Most prominently, the sounds of scratching coming from the walls. Uh, His bed moving while he's shaking, shaking and moving. The family is afraid because they're seeing this and hearing this. So they call a Lutheran minister to come mm-hmm. over and check it out. And he comes to the conclusion that the boy is under mm-hmm. demonic assault. Yeah. And why would a Lutheran say demonic? Well, there's <laughs> demons in Lutheranism. But Half a step off of a Catholic anyway. Right. But Lutherans do not have the rights of exorcism. Nope. Um, so he, a Lutheran minister now comes to the conclusion that the boy should be taken to a Jesuit university or a Jesuit rectory, just be like the assume rectories where these people hang out, and that an exorcism should be performed. So he's literally referring someone to to go from Lutheranism over to Catholicism for the sake of getting an exorcism. That's a lot of isms. (laughs) Which they do them. In St. Louis. In St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> Is the case starting to sound familiar yet? Okay, well, let's take the case, make it a girl instead of the boy, and that this uh, exorcism takes place in Georgetown. And name her Reagan. <laughs> right. It's the exorcist case, and it's the case that Peter Blatty actually wrote the book The Exorcist about. Mm-hmm. Um, modern people are starting to refer to this as the Cottage City Poltergeist. Because the bulk of the people now believe that this was not demon possession, surprise, surprise, or infestation, but it was just a simple haunting and/or poltergeist. Yeah, because what you saw in the movie, you've got to remember, a lot of that is creative liberty. I mean, they they added a lot to that movie, and half that stuff I don't even think happened. But the stuff that did happen was cool as hell. Oh yeah. And I mean, and again, you know, a lot of it was just so, you know, apparently the exorcisms were very well documented by the mm-hmm. priests involved. There's a, an actual diary that was kept of all the activity. Well, I mean, and they thought that there was enough there, I mean, that they actually granted an exorcism, which doesn't happen that often. I mean, you, you the church does not grant exorcism very often. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and we're talking about the real church here, not these pseudo-priests right. who claim they're like a member of some other strange spinoff of the actual Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. The actual Catholic Church rarely approves an, an exorcism. Right. And this so, just happened to be one of the cases that they did. Yes, had enough going for it that they saw fit to actually perform an exorcism. But to also sort of strengthen the idea that maybe this was just a haunting rather than possession. Uh, No sooner did they declare the boy freed of the devil than the hospital room where the the last 
I think I want to say just the last couple attempts at the exorcism because this this was not like the movie. This was actually done over a stretched period of time. Yeah. With many sessions in two, at least two, if not three different locations. They were in a home for a while in St. Louis till it became yeah. too stressful on the inhabitants there. And then they moved over to the hospital, uh, the Lysian Brothers Hospital, I believe it was called. Lexian. Lexian Brothers Hospital, which was a Jesuit hospital mm-hmm. uh, that is no longer around, so don't go looking for it in St. Louis. Um, but apparently, when this exorcism was over and the boy was cleared, the room where they did the exorcisms remained haunted. To the point they actually locked the door up. The nurses and things there would not go near the room. And the like during the exorcism at the point where they declared him clean, there I mean, and this was heard all through the hospital and a loud boom echoed through the hospital and they said that it was it almost like things got lighter. There was like a complete different feel. Right, the whole atmosphere. I mean, you got something like that where an entire hospital hears this, like, loud explosion, but it wasn't an explosion. (laughs) Right. So, eventually the place was torn down, and whether you want to believe sort of the reports on this, and I think this, what was the Booth Brother movie where they talk a little bit, The Haunted Boy, they talk a little bit about this, but... Um, many say that when they actually tore the building down, when they went into that room, that's where they actually found the exorcist diary. <laughs> they went into the nightstand, still sitting there in the room where they had did all the exorcisms, mm-hmm. went into one of the little cabinets, and there it was, sitting there written in the hands of one of the priests. And you can actually read that diary now in a uh, book called, I think, The Possessed, I believe is the name of it. Yeah. They actually of it in there. Well, in the very back, he, he puts the whole thing. Just mm. as an epilogue, you can actually read the whole diary. Cool. So, pretty sweet little extra if you check that book out. All right, so The Exorcist. Poltergeist, or not. All right, Enfield Poltergeist, 1977. Another one that not only do people know about very well, but there's a lot of pictures, a lot of photographs from this case. Um, usually showing the kids sort of hopping up and down on beds for some reason. I Googled this thing because I knew there was it was modern enough that there was photos. kids. <laughs> and you bring up all these photos, and they're mostly of the children, like, playing in the room. And it's like, well, what do these photos have to do with the poltergeist? Exactly. I, I, I'm not sure of this. But it began with two children, Janet and Pete Hodgson, filling their bed, moving. This went on to be, once again, you're seeing a pattern here. It moves on to Knox, furniture moving. Neighbors and the police come. Police all the time. <laughs> Why don't call the police? I uh, yeah. I'm, I'm. I don't know. Unless I mean, it goes back to like you said. You'd like to have somebody, you know, kind of a, a credible witness. You know, I'm not crazy. Let's right. Call the cops. And they actually had a reporter come over to check out the story, and he gets a cool photo too. But instead of a brick, he gets a Lego. Legos. <laughs> a Lego floating through the air. I would rather have, for the record, a Lego thrown at me than yeah. a brick. Unless it's like, you know, a bunch of Legos put together in the shape of a brick. And <laughs> he supposedly took a photograph of a chair that was moving. And, and that 
Which means nothing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, how can you have a photo of a chair moving and prove anything? You well, do it, not. You have a photo of a chair. I know. It's blurred. And well, then you're saying it was moving. How do you know you weren't moving? It's not even blurred. I've seen the picture. It's a picture of a chair. Oh, my God. I mean, but he's saying it was moving, and that was why he snapped the photo. Okay. All right. And, uh... <laughs> 77, so, they they had video recorders then. Well, here's where the story gets a little weird. Okay, so now you're getting beyond what we typically think of as a poltergeist because the girl is speaking in voices. And she would, her voice would change to this guttural man-sounding man. voice who declared yeah. that his name was Bill Wilkins. Wilkins, who apparently died in the house. And... Of all the eerie things, one of the one of the strangest sessions that was sort of documented. Uh, once again, just to throw this out there, the famous SPR, the uh, Society for Psychical Research, uh, in England. This is an English case, Enfield, England. Uh, Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair, two another two two more famous sort of investigators from back in the day. We're involved with this case, and Playfair did write a book about it called This House is Haunted, if anyone wants to read about the infield poltergeist. All right, so you got two guys from SPR there, and they're hearing, they're doing a, a session, and the girl says, in Bill Wilkins' voice, mm-hmm. Before I die, I'm blind. I was bleeding. I passed out, and I died in a corner at the bottom. And he was actually trying to direct them to an area in the basement where he said he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did document that there was a Bill Wilkins who lived and died in the house. I don't know that they ever documented. Maybe it's in the book. I didn't read the whole book. But, but out of, to my knowledge, I don't know that they ever documented that he actually died in the basement where he led them. Didn't tell you. But the investigators would have long conversations with Wilkins. And what was funny was they said that the girl would say things that just was not typical for a little girl to say. Well, then just the... The... The choice of words. <laughs> well, yeah, she actually would call, uh, I think it was, was it Maurice Gross. or something? Or Gross, yeah, Maurice Gross. Gross, a fucking old sod. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, yeah, I just, I just the odd things like this. But, you know, once again, we have now a case of not even just normal, like, demonic possession, but spirit possession. Almost like something that you would get in the age of spiritualism when... They would let ghosts come into their bodies mm-hmm. voluntarily and speak through them. I mean, we're really getting into some shaky territory here in Poltergeist. I mean, clearly there is, you know, no separating yeah. some of these different types of activity I mean, from each other. Sounds, I mean, beginning to sound more and more and more and more like Poltergeist activity encompasses a lot more than, you know, just the bundle of energy that yeah. works itself out but i actually want to i want to say that i think it should just only encompass bundles of energy right because because if, then if, you cross into if there's it's, possession it's, it's a haunting happening. if there's possession <laughs> happening if there's infestation happening if there's a ghost present if there's <laughs> if there, these are not these should not be called poltergeists because i mean they're hauntings or infestation or whatever so anyway Another weird story, kind of scary, in a few stretches, and you know, you mm, yeah, person I mean, possessed by spirit. They all, they obviously, they go on to basically blame it on the girl, you know, pu- she, going through puberty, 
Right. All right, so we're going to buzz over three more cases just so we don't drag this podcast out to crazy proportions here since we just popped over an hour. Um, these are all pretty recent. These are, re- these are, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, we have – well, now we're, Mike brought it up immediately at the beginning of the podcast. Right. The first thing you think of when you hear the word poltergeist is – The movie. The movie Poltergeist. Well, guess what? It was actually based on a real case. Tallman. The Tallman family from Horicon, Wisconsin. And it, this case caught the eye of Steven Spielberg, Toby Hooper, and the others involved with the movie. And we're talking about just a regular old ranch house on Larrabee Street in Horicon, Wisconsin. Um, they're seeing doors open, hearing footsteps. you got a radio that would turn itself on and off and turn the dials. Windows would actually get pulled out. You're getting things literally moved from one area to another, not just like moving or shuffling. I mean, just literally moving from like maybe the living room to an upstairs bedroom or just, you know, somewhere. Right. It was actually pulling screen off of a window and putting it in the basement of Mm -hmm. all things. You had rocking chairs that were moving around. They actually found some paint open at one point where the paintbrush had been put inside of it. Um, there was a suitcase that was stored under a bed that would come out by itself. Um, a lot of different things to the point, uh, they st- here's where the story goes a little dark though, because uh, they started getting afraid of it because everyone in the family was universally having these terrible nightmares and they were invariably about death and sickness to the point that they started calling the police. Uh, the newspapers were called. The house turned into a circus at one point. This right. is how it caught the attention of people like Spielberg because mm-hmm. it was big news in the area that this house was haunted. Also, there were yeah. reportedly... Sounds, sounds eerily similar to another house that was reportedly haunted and turned into a circus and became a, bo- a book and a movie. Oh, a lot of them, <laughs> especially when you have the Warrens involved. Amityville, <laughs> yeah. of course, absolutely. Oh, I mean, you know, and that's what that, you know, we even say some similarities to the Amityville mm-hmm. case yeah. are yeah. pretty thick on this. And... But, I mean, you've got so many witnesses that are seeing this stuff, but they're seeing also these strange orange lights emanating in rooms. But um, then you start seeing figures. A misty figure that actually says speaking. you're dead. Yeah, speaking. And saying you're dead. Uh, you got one of the ch- children went to grab the lunchbox to run outside for school. The lunchbox flies off the table and is thrown across the room in front of all the witnesses and the news reporter who's there. Um, eyes were seen staring in a window at one point. Jody. Uh, is Jody the pig? No, no. <laughs> please don't return us back to this. <laughs> um, they bring in a pastor who declares... It's a demon. <laughs> it's so demonic. Here we, so here we go again. And but the daughters... The daughters say, say it's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go again. <laughs> it's a hobgoblin, people. <laughs> Clearly. They flee the house... And the theory is sort of thrown around that this bed that's in the house is the cause of the spirit. We're going to be talking about a case here in just a minute where this exact same scenario comes into play. And, okay, so, but, I mean, the press wrote about this story to the point that not only did it become a Hollywood movie, but the place would just get swamped with people Mm -hmm. coming to see the haunted house and coming by and all this and things. So the family, they they get sick of it. They move out. They never get haunted ever again. And what's more, the family moves in right behind them into this, this house. Nothing happens. Not a thing. Very similar to the Amityville case. So, I I heard nothing about 
being built on an Indian burial ground, and no. the skeletons coming to the top, and all the corpses. And, and, and doesn't this story make a better movie? Yeah. I would have rather seen this version right. of Poltergeist. I mean, it's more believable. Yeah, I would rather see this version of Poltergeist where where a misty figure is saying right. you're dead. Instead of running outside and falling <laughs> into a pool under construction and having corpses float up. Why, or why or, or tell me it was kids sitting in front of a fuzzy TV talking. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would just I would rather see this. <laughs> there needs to be, someone needs to get off their butts and make a real Poltergeist movie, exactly. not the real Poltergeist case. All right. So now we're going to go forward two years, 1989, to the famous Jackie Hernandez Poltergeist. I say famous because just jump on YouTube and look up some of the videos of this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of this. Um, we had quite a few chuckles watching some of this. Uh, yes, we did. <laughs> uh, California. San Pedro, San California. Pedro. Another famous investigator. <laughs> Barry, Barry Taft. Taft. And we know him because of the famous this entity case. Barbara um, Hershey, the movie. Barbara Hershey, the movie, yeah. Um, one of those movies that actually... Uh, when you hear people talking about the things that happened in the case, it's not too far off right. from what happened. Stayed pretty true to it. Stayed pretty true to Okay, so, but the Jackie Hernandez poltergeist, uh, she was this angry divorcee who had this really reportedly tumultuous life. Um, she would hear all these strange things happening in her, he- her house. And of all things, she sees the apparition of a disembodied head. A ghost head. In her attic. <laughs> it's a video game. Right. <laughs> and she would see what looked like the ghost of an old man who, when he would appear, he would look all withered and almost like a corpse. And she would smell feces and decomposing corpses. So, again, we're getting into but, ghosts. Yeah, but we're getting into... S- I'm... I, I mean, I just had to stop him right here because I'm... I'm going on to the the sounds of shuffling in the attic of a 200-pound rat. Yes, that's the way she described it. (laughs) She said the noises were so loud in the attic, someone actually said, well, it could be rodents. And she said, well, it would be like a 200-pound rat then. Because the noises are that loud. (laughs) (laughs) The ghost of a 200-pound rat would be pretty sweet. Uh, That might be the one case I'd actually scream myself and run out of the house. Um, <laughs> uh, probably no, surely not. Okay, so Taff, who's going to also sort of set himself aside, kind of like role as someone who actually puts a little science into his things here, and that was pretty evident in the entity case too. Um, yeah, but there was actual cool shit happened in this one. I mean, stuff that you have to scratch your head and go, "Wow!" Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can fake this. Well, yeah, and and this is one of the things that you can actually see in the YouTube video. Seriously, go look it up. Jackie Hernandez Poltergeist on YouTube. You're going to see some little mini documentaries about it. Mm-hmm. But ooze, just like in the Amityville Horror, would come out yeah. of the walls. But Taft, rather than just going, ooh, look, there's some ooze, actually hmm. took a sample, <laughs> took it into an actual hmm, research an actual facility, lab. And had it <laughs> analyzed, <laughs> and of all things... It was blood plasma. Human blood plasma. Yeah. I'm like, how do you do that? Because I know 99.999% of the people around do not have a centrifuge that they carry with them to separate it. Just the, yeah, the process of separating plasma from blood is not something that your average Joe can do. No. 
And especially when you actually see it coming out of the walls. Right. And I mean, there's actually a part of the video, it's probably the best part of the video, mm -hmm. quite frankly, um, where they suddenly see it coming out of the ceiling and they shine their lights up and there it is. And there's several photos of it coming out of the fireplace, uh, different areas of the wall. Uh, human plasma coming out of the walls. Wow. Weird. But, again... We have two apparitions at the minimum being seen. Yeah, you have the the foul scent of decomposition. Yep, you got the foul scents going on. And then of all things, so he's got these two camera guys, and this is in the little video too, and you'll get to see this and kind of snicker and laugh. You see, I have two little photographers with him. They go into the attic. One of them says his camera gets yanked out of his hand, and the other one screams because a, a cord has come down around his neck and, and attempted to grope him and, and hang him, him from, from a nail. nail. <laughs> a, a little bent, rusty nail that they show in the video. Uh, and there's some very humorous pictures, uh, photographs. I mean, you can look at the photo. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he doesn't look happy. I mean, he doesn't look you know, like he's having fun or anything. No, it's pretty clear, and even in the video, that the guy does not appreciate you know, <laughs> the attention he was getting. Um, so... But Jackie would move to another house, you know, eventually, and a few events happened there. Of course, they were doing a seance. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, dodos. You know, if you have these things happening to you, does it make sense to dabble anymore? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's break out the Ouija board and see what we can have. You idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these days, present day, Jackie's no longer haunted. However, the original home... At 593 West 11th Street in San Pedro, California, uh, is said to be haunted. Uh, the family who's currently there today says they do have things happening there. So, there you go. Just don't go in the attic. You know, a poltergeist with disembodied heads, uh, ghosts of old men, and uh, blood coming out of the walls. Wow. That one's actually kind of cool. <laughs> it is actually. That is actually kind of a cool story. That would be a good movie. All right. So now we're getting to 1998. We're getting really recent here. And what the people call the Danny Poltergeist. And this one is really well documented, too, because there was a reporter in Savannah uh, named Jane Fishman. She was with the Savannah Morning News. Followed mm -hmm. these events very closely, wrote many articles about it, and was actually sort of tracking what was happening with the family. But once again, we're back to uh, a strange way that the poltergeist came into being here. Um, a bed. Another another bed. In this case, an antique bed that was purchased, um, I want to say, from an estate auction or something of that nature. A um, little boy named Danny was... Or, I'm sorry. Uh, <coughs> Danny was the name of the ghost. The boy, the living boy, that was sleeping in the bed... Uh, was sort of the one being uh, assailed. Is that a good word for this? The victim. The victim, okay. He would sleep at night. He would feel something breathing on him. He would feel what felt like someone lying down in the bed with him. Um, and then he did the classic mistake. He sort of started interacting with the thing and asking questions. And pretty soon they find written in crayon the word Danny and the number seven, which everyone has assumed to be the age. Um, Danny would later go on to say that his mother died in that bed, and he did not like people sleeping in his mother's uh, deathbed. Hmm. And you start getting into the the real poltergeist activity. 
objects flying about the room. Including yeah. the boy almost getting hit by something right. uh, while he was on the bed. Probably a Lego. Apparently this was, yeah, a Lego. Hopefully a Lego and not a brick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but apparently after the boy had related, he didn't like people on the bed. The little boy got on the bed again and it threw something at him. Right. Like to prove the point. I don't like it kind of a thing. But here's where the story gets kind of freaking weird because not only are we getting to the realm of a ghost, you know, which well, is they, not a poltergeist. Yeah, they but actually start calling them the ghosts. Ghosts, plural, yeah. being the weird thing here. Because mm. now you suddenly have a spirit named Uncle Sam. One named Gracie and one named Jill, <laughs> who are joining Danny. So no less than four ghosts are now in the house. Um, and I think if you go back and read a lot of the articles from Jane Fishman and maybe some other people who are centered around this case, I think it was kind of one of those deals where it started off as the real deal, but then the boy, because of all the attention, right. because of all the things going on, began to sort of make stuff up. <laughs> stretch the truth a little bit. Uh, or could have been led. Could have been led in that direction. Yep. Just to make the story more exciting. Sure. And I mean, and a lot even said that maybe the boy had psychic abilities of some sort, and he was sort of either A, seeing things that were happening in the past, right. and they weren't really ghosts, or, or B, just, he was sort of attracting them. Yeah. You know, I see dead people. Exactly. <laughs> you know, he's just picking up on them. All right. So we're going to wrap this up by talking about a couple places that uh, you can actually visit. If you want to do the traveling, because they're both yeah. overseas <laughs> in the UK, um, that just sort of have ongoing activity. The first one is the Charlton House in London, um, once an estate, now a municipal building. Uh, has a ghost though, right? And that just immediately says it's not a poltergeist, and it's not I just mean, one ghost. Yeah, they just kind of come right out, and if they're saying that it's a ghost right off the bat, then right, it's it's not a poltergeist. But they they they, they, they they tend to throw it in the poltergeist because there used to be this, this <sighs> trick that they could do where teacups would explode, right? Uh, and they would take the pieces would neatly arrange themselves after they exploded. So it's kind of a strange trick that the one of the ghosts could do. But you have the ghost of a man named William Langhorn there. You have a ghost of a servant girl who's been seen carrying around a dead baby. Oh my God! Here we go though. And what might be the most <laughs> interesting ghost of all time? Rabbits. <laughs> Phantom Ghost of rabbits. Phantom rabbits. Literally, people see what looks like rabbits hopping inside the building. They go look, and there's no rabbits there. <laughs> yes. But on an interesting side note, during World War One, they actually used the Charlton House as a uh, hospital. hospital. And while they were there, they decided they needed to make some room, so they decided to knock down a couple walls separating to make one big, large infirmary. And they knock out the wall, and what do they find? I find a body of a boy. A body of a child walled up into in the wall. The long past decomposed body of a boy. Exactly. <laughs> and even to this day, it's a, it's a library of all things. You can go there. They still say there's cold spots, objects moving, mysterious voices, mm -hmm. and uh, again, the exploding teacup kind of a thing going on. So I would like to see that. I would be mm -hmm. kind of neat. All right, the other place we kind of teased earlier, the Glamis Castle. Uh, we're getting into Scotland. This is just one of those classic, crazy, haunted places that for some reason many want to say is a poltergeist. And it has a long history, as castles do. Uh, Obviously. 
in addition to having a poltergeist, it has a couple of some of the other things that we've been talking about, a haunting and a witch, but also something a little bit unique. I, uh, I kind of dig this thing. <laughs> I mean, there's a vampire. <laughs> they have a vampire, uh, reportedly a ghost vampire. Um, oh, I see, that can't be. <laughs> witnesses say they have seen this particular ghost, including one of the current inhabitants of the place, mm-hmm. uh, drinking blood from a victim. Like, they will see someone who has collapsed, and the ghost will be over them drinking their blood. Yeah. I'm not sure how that works. I'm, I'm not sure how a vampire can be a ghost. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Well, there was supposedly a servant girl who worked mm-hmm. in the castle at some point who was actually busted for doing this very act, too. Right. And so they assumed that this girl was a vampire. She died, I guess, and now her vampire ghost is in the place. Or she's still a vampire, I guess, maybe, and she's in the building somewhere, and she comes out and gets people. Who knows? I don't know. If you want to find out, you can go stay there. The Glamis Castle, that's right. You can actually stay as an overnight guest. The people that stayed there have seen such lovely things as faces glaring in the window at them, apparitions hovering over their beds, they've heard screams, they've had their sheets torn off of them, doors opening in their rooms. Uh, it sounds like a fun place. I'd like to go. <laughs> Getting on the phone and booking a room. <laughs> I think we need to set this one up. Glamis Castle in Scotland. I, I'm, I'm wanting to go down there. All right, so we've heard a lot of Poltergeist stuff. We're going to wrap this thing up. Some conclusions here. So so what have we kind of learned? Uh, <laughs> have we learned anything? I don't, I'm still confused. Seems that most of the, I guess, cases that you would consider more legitimate poltergeist activity are centering around mainly young girls, young young females. Right. Sometimes young boys, mostly young females. Seems like a single person seems to be a trigger. Right. Um, one one way or another, whether it's psychic energy or. Who knows? I mean, I have no idea. Right. And it does seem like the most activity seems to be paired up with something that's usually associated with something else like, you know, infestation or regular hauntings or possession or something of that nature. Um, I think that we definitely are at the point that we really need to, like, start drawing a line and saying, look, if it's a ghost, it's a haunting. Right. And if there's no ghosts involved and weird things are happening, then maybe that can be the poltergeist thing. Right. And if you're leaning towards... Yeah, it's probably a poltergeist. Don't do an exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, yeah. That usually just makes it worse. In the cases that exorcisms are actually been thrown into the mix, it's actually causing things to actually accelerate. Um, probably because you're giving it a lot of attention and energy, and if yeah, it is running right. off psychic energy, you're sort of pumping it out you're, there. You're throwing buckets of it at it, because when you do an exorcism... It's not a one-on-one thing. A priest no, does not go into the room by himself and do an exorcism. There's always somebody there with him. Because somebody's you, always got to be, you know, canting. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and tensions are clearly high. Right. People are agitated. Oh, God, yeah. or fa- they're afraid. Things of that nature are happening. And so even if there's just a common ghost that's there, you're pumping out the energy for this ghost to do a lot of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've just further insulted the ghost by, by accusing it of being a demon. Right. <laughs> so, Which in the first place it... Could have been a pretty passive spirit, like right. wanting to hang out, wanting to kick it, and then you go and piss it off. Right. 
And and if you're a ghost hunter and you're listening to this podcast, it does seem like you know that there are some tests that you can be you know kind of follow along the lines of William Roll or even take some cues from Barry Taff and actually you know come at this thing a little more scientifically than just assuming it's a witch hobgoblin or a uh, devil that's doing the things and uh, or a rabbit or ghost rabbit or anything that happens and William Rowe actually came to the conclusion after many poltergeist cases that true poltergeist cases kind of work on a bell curve you have a bundle of energy kind of accelerates it gets really strong and then it dissipates and then then it fades away and which uh, I would I lean more to thinking that would be what a true poltergeist activity is I agree and I think I think what we're really saying here is that a lot of the places that call things poltergeist Mm -hmm. They're just not really right. defining what a poltergeist is, and they could literally hauntings. you could literally take fifty percent of the cases we just went over, and I would categorize them as just a haunt, Correct. just a, a typical haunt. Absolutely, it does seem like that all the workplace ones pretty much were actual poltergeists. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I mean, the rest of them either had a ghost, an apparition, uh, something going on that was not. Yeah. Uh, it, did, it didn't follow the. And I'm, well. Here I'm trying to like label everything. I guess there are no strict guidelines to what a poltergeist is, but from what everybody tends to think poltergeist activity is, half of these don't follow it. Right. And before anyone sends us an email saying, man, you guys didn't talk about the DAG poltergeist. That's one of the big yeah. ones. Uh, the DAG poltergeist is so big that we're probably going <laughs> to just do a show about the DAG poltergeist. Yeah, have to go separate. It'd be a standalone podcast. Right. And so, in the meantime, you can definitely uh, come and check out some of the past podcasts and other stuff by visiting the website. So, where do they go? Go to paranormalincorporated.com. If you want to drop us a line, send that to info at paranormalincorporated.com, all spelled out. And we are out of here. See you later. Peace.